0: Before the episode begins, I'd like to tell you about the Science for Care podcast. Science for Care is an audio series produced by Halftech for Care, an endowment fund committed to support and promote access to care for all patients. Each episode takes a concise look at some of the major advances in medicine, mRNA vaccines, antibiotics, gene therapy, the metaverse, and many more. The production is meticulous, the narration captivating, and the guests are true leaders in their respective fields. If you listen to Impulse, then you'll be for sure interested, so don't wait any longer and go listen to the first two seasons of Science for Care.
1: When you're looking at an image, sit looking at them next to each other, and you're sitting there looking at each other and say, yeah, I think we can put this one in front of a pathologist. He would be really hard pressed telling us which of the two is fake and which of the two is a real, uh, a real tissue. Those are the moments when when you are looking at each other and, and when you think, yes, this is um, this is going to make a difference. Instead of having one new medicine with the same uh, in the same time and with the same resources, we can get three drugs on the market. Imagine how many more patients will be helps and how much uh, good we can do for the li- lives of people, people were saying, yeah, sorry, we're not going to continue with you guys because your model doesn't show anything. We don't see efficacy while it should based on animal models. And then a couple of years later, we hear that actually further down the pipeline, they said, ah, oh, shit, we should have trusted those models because in real life, it also doesn't work.
0: Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare. Be they researchers, doctors, engineers, or entrepreneurs, we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise, as well as the journey that took them where they are now. All right. So, hello Bas. Um, It's a pleasure to have you here. It took a a bit of adjustment efforts to find the right date and schedule, but here we are and I'm extremely excited to learn more about your journey and the activities that you are leading at Mimetes, where you currently operate as the Chief Technology Officer. Congratulations, by the way, on receiving the Dutch Innovation Award 2022. I, I saw that passing on LinkedIn a few days ago and it's certainly quite a recognition from your home country, which emphasizes the pioneering work and science that you guys are leading. I'm sure that in our upcoming conversation, we will touch on some of the topics that we already had the chance to discuss. In former episodes of the podcast, I'm thinking about episode five, where we had an in-depth conversation with Deborah Heinze from Luna4 on spatial biology, but also about episode eight, where we had a chat with Nikolaj Kurevsky, who is working at the the Roche Institute for Translational Bioengineering where he took us through the field of organoids and the promises they hold in terms of drug discovery. And talking about drug discovery, I think it's exactly the domain where you evolve as well. So I'm really curious to hear about your perspective and what your plans with the company are in this regard. Um, but before we get started with our conversation, I'll, I'd also like to thank Maureen, a good friend of mine who kindly put us in contact and who was actually part of your team for a bit more than, than two years. So many greetings to her. Without, I kindly propose you best to present yourself.
1: Hi, Mathieu. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's a great pleasure to be here, and I think it's uh, it's a, a really nice lineup of uh, of speakers to to join. And uh, also, thank you for the congratulations. The the innovation award, the Dutch Innovation Award, was indeed uh, was a nice evening and a nice recognition being a. Being the second winner of that uh, award after uh, ASML, it's uh, it's not a bad lineup to be in. So I think <laughs> two, two nice lineups. <laughs> That's <good. laughs> um, Yeah, so maybe to start uh, to introduce myself, my, my name is Bas Streets. I'm indeed the chief technology officer and one of the founders of Mimetas. And um, yeah, it would be great to talk a little bit uh, about the things we are doing at Mimetas, how we're trying to help get new drugs to patients. and. Uh, yeah, and, and, and tell you a little bit about the things we do to uh, try and, and and push the boundaries in the life sciences and in drug discovery.
0: So so where does the, the idea behind Mimetas come from and, and what is the the mission that you guys are, are trying to pursue?
1: Yeah, what, what we have been what we're trying to do at Mimetas is really trying to to provide the tools and help uh, help in the research for the medicines of the 21st century so in as we've heard already in, in in several of the of the episodes before that there's a struggle to find the correct drugs for for the complex diseases that that are still unsolved untreatable mm-hmm. um and it's really our belief at mimetos that that is because we are doing most of the research to find new drugs on uh, in insufficient and, and 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 incorrect model systems so all drug development starts in in vitro models uh, or maybe even in vivo models but typically these models are either are are oversimplified and uh, or are animal based and are just not so very predictive of what drugs will, in the end, work in humans? So that results in the often quoted uh, twelve years, several billion yeah, price tag of a, of, of a drug, and uh, and especially if you think about the fact that ninety five percent that actually reach a human still fail in the clinic. Mm-hmm. This is this is just. Uh, a very strong symptom that something has to be improved before you actually uh, reach humans, and that's um, that's where we were working. Um, I, I was working at Leiden University. Paul Vulto, one of the two CEOs, came by with a technology that allows you really good um, uh, control over cells, over uh, well, actually over liquids and fluids. And uh, together we came to the idea: okay, we can actually use this technology to build. Tissues, build a miniature, and do them, uh, build them in a way that these cells actually are organized and oriented in a way that's much closer to in vivo tissues. And we thought, hey, mm-hmm. this is uh, this is an opportunity. This is where we can really make a difference uh, in patient lives by providing models that will be more predictable and that will help uh, that will help drug discovery.
0: So before we dive further into the technology that you have developed and and uh, and the fascinating science that you are doing in the field of drug discovery, I think we'd need to understand the concept of organ on a chip better. Um, that's something that Nicole touched on in the episode, as I mentioned in the intro. Could you explain to us in your own words what lies behind these terms?
1: Yeah, the, the field of organ on a chip is, is a field that uh, is trying to build Miniaturized uh, versions of organs and put them on a chip. And the chip, in this case, is of is the is something similar to um, chips in your computer, electrical uh, uh, chip chips. But instead of having a lot of electrodes in there, having copper uh, copper leads in there, we've got channels through which we can route fluids. And we mm-hmm. use actually some of the same technologies that are used to manufacture computer chips. But we use them to manufacture uh, channels and and little compartments through which we can uh, flow cells, um, cell media, uh, blood surrogates, and also in which we can pattern cells in gels, in scaffolds, um, which allows us to, to put cells, culture them in 3D, uh, have a little blood flow in there have multiple cell types uh, cultured adjacent to each other allowing them to interact with each other in the right ways all to really mimic the function mm-hmm. the form and the function of organs as they are in the in the body and mm-hmm. the, the idea really being that the old way of taking cells and uh, throwing them in the bottom of a petri dish or of a well plate Giving these cells the wrong environment, the wrong shape, it will actually trigger these cells to also respond in the wrong way to yeah. drugs. And, um, and what we are doing is we are taking this chip technology to put, the, put these cells in the right context. Give them a soft environment, have them suspended in collagen or, or any other gel akin to the same environment that cells see in the body make it not just one cell type but multiple just as in the body an organism (laughs) of a single cell type and uh, provide them with a perfusion flow uh, mimicking a blood flow and also mimicking mimicking the supply of oxygen and nutrients and also the effluent of waste metabolites to again get closer to that situation as it is in the body and what we see is that if you Provide if you start off with the right cells and you Mm -hmm. provide them the right environment, you put them in the right context, these cells start to form tissues that are sometimes pretty much indistinguishable from organ uh, uh, from tissues in as they are in the body, Mm -hmm. and they are also starting to respond and react like the real thing. And this is really the tool that, that we are using to gain better understanding uh, of diseases and allow us to do uh, uh, better modeling and, and have tools that enable researchers to really make, make an impact on their uh, pipeline decisions and really push the drug development forward faster.
0: So if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and in light of what you just explained, there is a, there's a particular platform that lies at the heart of your technology, the the organoplate. Although it would have been, I think, much easier to directly see it, um, to understand better what we're talking about here. And I would invite the, the, the listeners to check out the detailed videos that you have available on your website and on your YouTube channel. Could you explain in your own words what exactly this organoplate is and what it enables in terms of assays and experiments? Yeah,
1: yeah. So when when I was uh, when we were working on on this organ on the chip technology, we were seeing that in the field um, there was already a strong push for three D cell culture. Yeah, uh, this was this started off with hallmark papers showing uh, breast cancer cells cultured in 2D, uh, responding opposite to uh, uh, to drugs as they would be in the body. And the, and and that was one of the hallmark papers there showing, yes, if you do this in 3D, this is reversed and, and, and cells <laughs> start to act correctly. Um, I was working before already also on lab-on-the-chip technology, so really trying to downscale uh, analytical chemistry processes. But... What we saw is okay. What if we can marry these two? This was also not. We were not the first ones to do that, right? We were not yeah. the first ones to try and use miniaturized uh, uh, technologies to to try and make more relevant three dimensional tissues. But what we really found is that a lot of these technologies um, didn't really weren't really focused on on the applicability on mm-hmm. the use case yep. for a any scientist in any lab to do this and also not to just make one of these organs but to scale this up to a Mm -hmm. size and shape where you can actually start to do proper science if you want to do a real experiment you're gonna need replicates you're gonna do if you want to do a dose response curve yeah you're gonna you're you're gonna need dozens of 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 data points in this case that means dozens of chips Mm -hmm. so We really started off thinking, okay, how can we take this base technology of putting cells in the right context, providing them with a blood flow, providing them with the right cell-cell interactions, and trying not to to perturb them too much, actually, and let them reorganize themselves. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How can we do that in a scalable manner? And that is when we thought of the... uh, That's when we thought, okay, what if we can actually take that chip and build it into... The most standard uh, uh, labware that there is, a microtiter plate. So we started off with a 384 well plate uh, because that meant you can just use any pipette, uh, any pipette, you can use any microscope that's out there, you can use all your liquid handling automation that's out there. What if we can embed that functionality in this plate? So mm-hmm. that's what we tried to do, and actually turned out to be pretty, uh, 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 pretty well doable because. A couple of months after we had the idea we had the first actual organo plate already in our hands and that meant that now suddenly we just had this 384 well plate, which mm-hmm. uh, in the bottom of that plate has these channels embedded through which your cells will be flowing in which your tissues will be growing and we thought okay how do we how do we fill them or well, let's just use capillary forces so instead of trying to make this very complex yeah we mm-hmm. just had a channel connected to the bottom of a well where people can pipe it in maybe 1 microliter of uh, a collagen or a matrix gel mixed with cells and that get just gets sucked in by capillary forces into your culture chamber and then we thought okay how do we um, provide fluid flow through these tissues and we had tried already different ways of doing that had worked with pumps had worked with tubes but these are always a problem they're Mm -hmm. they're difficult to scale they always start leaking they're horrible to work with (laughs) and and even if they work well you always need a device to drive every single plate or chip yeah so we thought you know what let's just use gravity so instead of using a pump we uh, started to work with uh, wells with media in there simply put them on a platform that's sitting at an angle. so fluid flows from one well through your chip into the other well. and after a certain amount of time, the platform tilts back in the other direction and the mm-hmm. fluid flows back. And that resulted in a tighter plate with somewhere between 40 and 96 tissues embedded in the bottom where these flow where you just pipe it in yourself, they get pulled to the right position by capillary forces. And under gravity, we can provide uh, all the fluid flows we want to. And from that point onward, it is by design actually something that any any scientist can use using all of the standard tools that they have to their uh, that they would normally use. We we use these on a daily basis, uh, chucking these plates in uh, high content screeners. We use multi-channel <laughs> pipettes, but also pipetting robots uh, that that people just use as if these plates were normal tighter plates. And I think. For us, that was really the goal because in the whole organ-on-a-chip technology, we really wanted to take this to a place where the people using it don't care about the fact that this is a fancy microfluidic device. No, this is just a simple tool. It's an alternative to Mm -hmm. a microtiter plate and the real hard work starts when the biology is in there. That's Mm -hmm. when it starts to become difficult and that's where the creativity comes in. That's where we... We are now also spending a large majority of all the efforts we, we, we do at, in, within Mimetas. Yeah. It is about developing models and it is about um, making the best biology work within these titer plates and, um, and really trying to further our understanding of diseases and, and uh, yeah, make, a, make a contribution to, to the drug developments for all of these uh, diseases.
0: In in the going back again to the the this episode of recording with Nikos, I, I remember that he shared about the growing interest from the scientific community in combining organoids and organ non chip technologies, as the first would enable um, to recapitulate the cellular complexity of certain organs, and the latter, as you mentioned, the physiological features that are associated with them, including mechanical and biochemical cues um from what i understand with the organoplate craft that's one of the versions you have that's exactly what you're trying to do like merging these two approaches could you tell us more about it and where does this combination stand when it comes to facilitating drug discovery and screening
1: yeah the i think organoid technology is amazing i think uh, actually w- one of the other founders of uh, of mimetas jos jore he um yeah. he's a uh, he's a developmental biologist by training. I'm i I'm a. My training is in biopharmaceutical sciences, so real drug development. But but he's the real deal, right? He's uh, he he studied uh, and has a very thorough background, really in developmental biology, in stem cell biology. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, his some of his early work was. Uh, at the Hubrecht Institute, uh, working on the on the wind pathway uh, in 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 the lab of Hans Klevers that later became Klavers, of course the, the the work, the pioneer and inventor of the whole organoid field. And um, and I'm still amazed at uh, by that technology. It's really impressive, and and I think it's incredibly important because. Like I said, for us, the organoplate is just a tool. It's all about the biology. It's all about making the best models that are out there, and those models can only ever be as good as the cells that you start off with. So, mm-hmm. we have a strong, strong effort uh, on trying to get our hands on the best tissues that are out there, on patient materials, on the on on, on the best um, biology, and and the organoid technology is a very strong part of that. So. We um we've been working with um, with the group of Hans Klavers, who of course now moved to Roche. Yep. Um, we've been uh, we we have really close ties to the Hub Institute, and um, and that means that we we are working with organoids on a on a daily basis. We mm-hmm. are generating our own organoid lines, and we are using them in in various different manners. And the simplest of them actually doesn't even use organoplate graft. What what we but what we do is we have um, in the organoplate, in, in, in the two and the three-line organoplates what we do a lot is study um, barriers. We can grab Birds. tubules, mm-hmm. we can perfuse through the inside, we can, have, uh, we can put them next to other cells, but also very often look at transport, active or passive, or cell migration across these tubules. Those can be blood mm-hmm. vessels, can be, uh, but can also be endothelial or epithelial tubules. And um, one example of those is, for example, uh, colon and small intestinal tissues that we grow into tubes uh, where we can, for example, build models of inflammatory bowel disease or mm-hmm. have these barrier tissues that, are, that, that we can study for both acne and tox uh, um, effects. But also real disease uh, states, for yeah, like I said, for example, in inflammatory bowel disease um, or other uh, diseases that we can test in there. And we started there using simple cell types like keikos. But what we've what we've seen is that we can take these standard cell types and maybe make it one step better by uh, by using cell lines, but combining multiple cell lines together, or by mm-hmm. using primary material. But we've been really pushing also on using organoids uh, tissues and putting them in there. So one of one pretty well established model that we have now starts off with um, with colon organoids, and mm-hmm. one of the downsides of colon organoids normally is that they're a ball, right? They're, yep. they're enclosed, so you can only ever interact with the outside, with the basal side of these organoids, and yep. you can maybe visualize what's going on uh, on the apical side, but you can't really interact with it. So what we developed is a technology to take these, take these organoids and actually seep them in an organoplate and form a tube out of them. Mm-hmm. So instead of having, the, having these organoids, we are taking the exact, exactly the same cells, maintaining all of their characteristics and really maintaining that link to the patient's, including a disease phenotype if it's from if it's from, uh, if it's from a, a patient and not a healthy donor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And now suddenly grow them in this form of a tube so that we can study uh, transport in and out of them that we can uh, interact with them from both sides that we can maybe measure uh, electrical resistance, tear, or actually impedance, I should say trends <laughs> of paleo-electrical resistance across these barriers and really have a good metric of their health and of any processes going on across that barrier in a very scalable manner because these will be sitting in our plates. We can culture 60, 100 of them on the plate and we can stack those plates um, as far as we want to because they only have to sit on a rocket platform. And, and that's really at a level where we can screen these tubes, um, which allows us to take this technology and scale it up to uh, to quite a, to quite an interesting level uh, and really do screens on them um, and um, yeah and and we've even gotten that now to a situation where we are not only able to do this in our own hands in our own labs but where we can take yes. these plates and uh, put them on the mill so if somebody else wants to do exactly <laughs> the same uh, experiments but in their own labs. We've, we've actually developed a technology, uh, what we call our organo-ready uh, technology, where these uh, plates are essay-ready. They are ready to use after uh, receiving them. So we are really trying to make this organoid technology available to everyone uh, and uh, available to use in the best way possible uh, for our own research, for the research we do with our partners, but also for other people to use in, in their own labs. And, For me, that's really amazing. We're pushing this forward. We're we're expanding the lineup of organoids that we have simply because we see that these these tissues are so well representative of Mm -hmm. the vivo situation. They maintain the cell heterogeneity. They maintain um, the um, uh, proliferative abilities. They can actually recover after toxic insults. And this is is really uh, a step up from most other models that I've seen before. Mm -hmm. and then of course there's the other way of going about it that's the one you alluded to which is the organoplate graft um yeah which which is a system in which we can actually first grow two blood vessel tubes that we then can trigger to form a microvascular bed into a culture chamber in the middle and that one Mm -hmm. was designed to have another opening on top
0: yeah
1: um we can use that to transplant all types of tissues on top of that vascular bed, and then that 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 tissue that you put on there can get vascularized and really start to form uh, really complex and self-organized and perfused uh, vascularized tissues. And we can do this with um, uh, with biopsies, with explants, with spheroids, but also indeed very interestingly with organoids. Again, merging these technologies where we try and. Uh, retain as much of the patient phenotype in our tissues as possible. Mm -hmm. And and we see that, yeah, going the organoid route there is is one that is a really, really powerful technology in maintaining the aspects uh, uh, and the the phenotype of the patient that was the donor of this uh, this, uh, material, um, whilst also uh, maintaining scalability. Because that's the other beauty, mm-hmm. right? These organoids, you can keep them going uh, quite, quite a long time. So it's actually doable to do thousands of experiments uh, based on these tissues.
0: You you mentioned that uh, you were using, you know, s- tissue and cellular cellular components from patients. Is this used to understand better the conditions, or is this used to test certain medication that you could pretend to before administering? it to them like in a way to enable personalized medicine what's the approach
1: at the moment uh, it is the first so what we are we think it's really important to understand the disease and a lot of these diseases is contained within these tissues and it can be it can be really uh, quite local right we, we can actually yeah. uh, if people have a disease that is not affecting the entire body, we can actually take maybe inflamed tissues from a certain lesion and healthy tissue nearby, or we can take tumor tissues, where it's of course very obvious that that is a very different tissue from the adjacent healthy tissues. But we are re- we are doing that to to have a good starting point for our disease models. Mm-hmm. We are already also taking that um, one step further. Where we are thinking of patient stratification. So, mm-hmm. what we know is that uh, acting like the whole patient population is homogeneous and uh, one work. disease yeah. is always the same is is a huge oversimplification. Mm-hmm. So, what we what we really do is when, for example, with these uh, with these gut organoids. We've got a few dozen donors there to see, okay, is any of the things that we are seeing right now, is that very specific to certain donors or are we seeing something that's very general in the entire disease state? And um, and it could be that then if we find a certain therapy that only works for some donors, that we can actually also figure out what the biomarkers or what the aspects of that patient are that can give us mm-hmm. guidance to do a selection of what type of tissue uh, or what type of treatment would work for which patient. And I always view this as actually meaning there are certain subcategories of the disease. Um, yeah, we, we are currently not uh, working very strongly on, on real bedside diagnostics, saying we want mm-hmm. to patient tissue every single time and use that to do therapy selection. Yeah, but this is very much a possibility. We've done some small projects actually in this direction as well, but it's not the main focus of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is—it is really a good op- opportunity in the future, uh, where also this scalability uh, is is very important. And um, one small project, for example, that we've done in that direction was um, was taking uh, uh, taking glioma. Uh, yeah. Uh, where there was already a project ongoing, trying to take glioma from patients, uh, culturing them in vitro, and trying to do uh, therapy selection based on how those in vitro systems react to the different potential treatments. Uh, But the problem there was that these, the take rate was just way too low, and when there was a proper take rate, the, the tissue... The, the, there was a very, very strong selection in what cells were actually growing well from this biopsy. What cells were growing well in vitro, and what cells were not. So in the end, again, the tissue that ended up in your in your wells plate was was miles away from the tumor as it was in the body. Yeah. Um, and there, yeah, what what we then also yeah got to work pretty okay was a uh, was a system in which we took these took a biopsy, cut it up in small bits. Uh, grow it in, in multiple wells. And our goal then was let's just increase the take rate and try and optimize the fact that all cells are represented and not just that one uh, uh, yeah. cell that happens to grow on plastic. And um, like I said, this was a small pilot, but I think it does point in the direction of where these technologies can can also be made to work. But for us now, the focus is uh, we really try want to try and understand diseases better, and mm-hmm. try and enable new drugs as a whole and uh, but uh but yeah it, this is still an opportunity that's lying there uh, <laughs> uh, that we could also uh, put more focus on at some point hopefully
0: all right for for those um, listening to us and who are new to drug discovery could, could you share with us the benefits brought up by your technology in this field is it to accelerate the development of more effective treatments is it to lessen the number of patients that need to go through clinical trials is it to replace animal models and reduce the amount of animals used, um, or a combination of all of those?
1: Yeah, I think it's all of the above. If <laughs> you if you ask me personally, of course I'm happy. Uh, I'm I'm always happy to reduce the use of, of laboratory animals, and and that is that that is a very very good added uh, uh, added benefit. <laughs> um, but for me, the most important part is that these animal models are simply not sufficient. Even yeah. even if you would be willing to sacrifice uh, thousands and thousands of animals, still what you end up with is a situation in which 95% of the drugs that hit the clinic fail because the hypothesis that brought you there was not good enough. Yeah. The, the way we, we really try to simplify it is saying... Wrong model equals wrong drug. If you start off in your drug development pipeline with the wrong type of model system, yeah. you're you're going down the wrong path. And and the, old, the, the the conventional way of thinking there is always, well you start with simple uh coarse essays that will will just get rid of everything that blatantly doesn't work and you home in more and more on the drug that actually works. While in reality a drug that works in those first easy tests is very often just a completely different uh, drug than the one that would work in, 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 in humans. So mm-hmm. it is not a sieve safe, a safe that gets kind of coarser and coarser and coarser. No, it's, yeah. it's a maze through which you are using the wrong directions at the start, but there's no way to get back on the right path where it's difficult to get back on the right path later on. And that's why I believe it's really important to use... These models, at the starting point, uh, as early as possible, um, because that means you're actually walking down the right uh, road. And yeah, and yes, that means that drugs should be developed faster, which means that we get drugs to our patients faster. Mm-hmm. It is more efficient. So that if instead of having one new medicine with the same uh, in the same time and with the same resources, we can get three drugs on the market imagine how many more patients will be helped and how much uh, good we can do for the li- lives of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And also <laughs> indeed, well, <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's a huge waste and it's really bad, uh, uh, bad if we, that 95% of these drugs that he hits humans, all of them have already also been tested on scores and scores of laboratory animals who, who all died for nothing. So, let's try and make the right decisions early on so Mm -hmm. we say so we save on resources we save on laboratory animals we save on uh patients in the clinic and we get drugs to patients in need faster i think that's in the end the goal and they are all they're all overlapping
0: (laughs) yeah mimitas is turning 10 years old next year i think can you make the statement already that you that I mean, to the point that you that you made that you have accelerated the development of a whole new drug through your technology is that already quantifiable in a way?
1: So I'm I'm really eagerly looking forward to the day that I can say <laughs> that patient got this drug, which wouldn't have been there if 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 our work, if me yeah. wouldn't have been there. But we're not there yet. I'm I'm really eagerly looking forward to the day, but we're not there yet. What what we can say and. Uh, it is that we have impacted pipeline decisions. We know from our partners, and this is of course always data that is very difficult to share. Uh, it's yeah, often yeah. only shared mm-hmm. anecdotally, of course. But 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 we but we've had discussions with our customers, with our partners, where they are saying, yeah, yeah, this these the data that we got out of your models, they really made uh, made us uh, search in the right direction. It, yeah. it gave us the clues to solve the base questions of how does this disease work. We've gotten the responses of people saying, okay, based on, based on the outcome of your screen, we pushed forward these candidates. And indeed, in animal models, we found exactly what we were expecting based on your models. <laughs> and we've also seen the other way around, that, um, <laughs> that people were saying, yeah, sorry, we're not going to continue with you guys because your model doesn't show anything. We don't see efficacy while it should based on animal models and then a couple yep. of years later we hear that actually further down the pipeline they said ah oh, we should have trusted those models because in real life it also doesn't work
0: yeah
1: so so we've got the anecdotal evidence that yes we are making we're making a, a change we're making an impact uh but i'm uh I still have that bottle of champagne sitting there for the uh <laughs> waiting for the day when I can when I can point at a patient that's been cured by our drugs and uh, uh, and and pointing at the drugs that are actually on the market be <laughs> partially uh, in 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 a small way because of us.
0: Yeah. I'm sure it will be open rather sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so definitely. One thing that we uh, haven't touched on yet, and I think is really also crucial in your daily work is how do you deal with the substantial amount of data that you're producing, notably all the imaging data that the companies, all the experiments that you're running? Um, I think if people look at the website and all the images, I mean, first of all, they should look at it even if they have no clue because they're very beautiful, like from an artistic perspective, it's quite nice. (laughs) Um, But yeah, how is this reflected in your internal organization? Do you have a data science department that's dedicated to this do you partner with other companies that are specialized in this field
1: um yeah uh, all of the above i would say um so we've got a dedicated data science team uh, that is really there to make quantify images and to make sense out of large large data sets and we are making use of machine learning there we're we're doing different types of ai approaches to uh, both design the libraries and experiments that we're doing to um, do the very very complex analysis of these images both in a way where we say okay it's very difficult to actually in this very dense picture of cells everywhere Mm -hmm. to point out exactly where one cell begins and the other one uh, ends. That's where we use machine vision, machine learning, but also in places where we say, uh, actually, we don't even want to just say, okay, let's quantify the width of this axon or let's quantify um, exactly if there is more or less granularization uh, of uh, this subcellular part. No, where we just want to say, can can we see patterns in the different phenotypes that we yeah. are seeing? Because very often, when you look at it from a distance, when a scientist is looking at these images, they can tell you, yeah, those cells they they look uh, they look happy or they look a little bit different from the other ones. It seems to be that there's something going on, and um, and that's also one of the ways where we use AI to try and also quantify and scale up that level of looking at. Images where you can see something is going on, and if we yeah. can find a lot of different, if we can within a screen where we say we've done five or ten thousand uh, uh, experiments, chips where we see a, a vascular uh, a vascular bed that has been changed under mm-hmm. certain uh, under the influence of certain drugs, if we can just ask. Our AI algorithms to sort of say, okay, can you just show us which, which drugs result in vascular beds that look similar? And then also try and figure out the connection between different types of uh, drugs that are out there, and maybe also between some knowledge that we already have about how mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. compounds interact with certain pathways. Then that can really help us start to slowly chip away at, 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 at figuring out what's going on and at seeing okay, we've got here 20 compounds that are all resulting in something that looks similar. Well, they're probably affecting the same uh, proteins mm-hmm. or the same pathways. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a part uh, that is relative. It's a younger part of the company, but, but yep. it's one that's rapidly uh, uh, growing and where our skills are rapidly growing. And part of that is stuff that we build ourselves. The AI field is one that's very open and 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 mm-hmm. carrying a lot of the at least the ways of how, how to approach data. The data that people keep close to are, uh, close to keep closed off, but how to learn from that data, it's something that is really evolving fast and quickly. And yeah. we uh, we are we are surfing on that wave as well. Um, but we also use the image analysis software that's out there. We use technology that's out there, and we are discussing with several different parties also how we could potentially um, make this easier to also share with uh, with our partners. Maybe we have a cloud-based solution where everybody can put their data in, and that we can use analysis tools in their experiments and in ours. Um, it's um it's an interesting part of the business and. Uh, and not, the, and then we're not even talking yet about just the just the logistics of handling terabytes and terabytes of yeah, data. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but that's uh, that's a solvable thing usually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you mentioned already you you are working very closely with multiple actors from the biotech industry, like Caliper You mentioned Roche as well, um, and so you you offer many different services uh, to those. And so what exactly are how do you tailor that that offering and how do you support them when they actually need to use the the, the organoplate for example do you how, how is this accompaniment done
1: yeah yeah so when when we founded mimetos we thought we are going to uh, sell we are just going to sell loads of organoplates and yeah. um, and to be able to have people use the organoplate we need to we need to show them how to use them right nobody mm-hmm. ever had heard of an organoplate so we needed to to figure out we needed to develop together a model and that's how our how our service uh, branch started saying okay we are just doing application development for users then we do and and then because otherwise people don't know how to use our plates but after we developed several models for customers what we what we figured out is that there are some customers who then indeed after that start doing it themselves, doing it on their own, uh, just buying organoplates, but also quite some who actually liked uh, who, who liked working with us, who liked the, the science we were doing, who liked the model development and in the, in the biological, the building of the biological models that we were doing for them so much that they said, you know what, why don't you also do the actual, uh, why don't you also do the application of those models for us? Why don't you start <laughs> to look at, Different experiments that gives us more understanding of diseases. So that was actually one of the parts of the business that kept on uh, that kept on going, and that is still. Yeah. If you just look at the manpower, it's it's the largest part of of Mimetos. Actually, yeah. our people who are doing science for our customers, and and that can happen in a few different ways. Uh, it can be indeed in a in a pretty much a fee-for-service uh, manner where a customer asks us, hey, um, we have a problem. We want to look at uh, polycystic kidney disorder, but uh, our models fail to recapitulate this and this and this aspect. Uh, can you, for us, build a model that actually has these and these and these uh, uh, aspects in it? And we make a, a, a project plan. We do it. And then half a year later or three months later, uh, we provide them with results and that's it. And maybe we go for our next step but what we've been seeing more lately and actually what I'm what I think is a, is a much better way of going about it is is not us working for customers almost as if we were a CRO yeah but really us partnering up together to um to do this drug discovery together where we're saying mm. look we've got 10 years of experience building models uh we've learned a lot in those years um and let's really just work together. Let's let's do a project in which we set the ambitious high, mm-hmm. um, where we upfront say let's achieve this. We're going to really make a difference in, uh, in in finding a drug for this disease. Let's work together for a couple of years uh, yeah, and uh, and just Shit. along the road work together as as equal party partners we we do not think that we are then the party to do clinical trials to do uh, to start to do really the late stage medcam and those type of things but especially everything all the preclinical work we, we really love to do that in a in a partnership model and yeah. uh, and that, and that's the the way of working together that we've been focusing on uh, the most in the last uh, couple of years but still if people want to buy plates they can if people want to buy <laughs> plates with biology in there uh, they can uh, we sell instrumentation to work with it we can do simple screens for people we can do it there so as far i think what's most important is that we can make an impact on drug development and uh, and depending on who we work with that that is uh, more done by us or more done by our by the partner and uh, and we like uh, we like the working together as much as possible because I think that's how we've seen that we can make that we can really make the the biggest impact.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm I'm conscious of time and I think we're we're slow slowly coming to an end. So you you really took us from the very beginning of Mimetas where it started when you were still a PhD, took us through the technology, how it came about, what is the usage and and the potential um, really in terms of drug discovery. I think it's a fascinating field and I would really I, I emphasize on it like encourage people to check out the website and see like you know the how these essays look like and the the and the images from uh, that you can take with your technology um at the end of the of each episode I um I ask a couple of recurring questions to to every guest. Um, the first one is what resource, maybe beyond the website, <laughs> would you recommend us to check out, in order to know more about the field in which you evolve, be it books, publications.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think the field of organ on a chip is is a uh, is actually relatively uh, overseeable still in some way. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you go on Google Scholar or any resource where you just Look, there, there's some really good uh, reviews out there, uh, and they're pretty easy to find if you just want to get a first introduction. But yeah, but to be honest, I think uh, actually going to our website and going <laughs> to the knowledge center there, uh, you can see the different publications that we've done, and and also some white papers, which I think actually give a pretty good introduction of at least yeah. our view of how these this this technology can be used to. Um, uh, yeah, to to the biggest uh, to the best uh, extent, and to really to really push science forward. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any uh, magic there. Uh, <laughs> there's a nice list where we've contributed to, and otherwise I would say just uh, to, just Google Scholar, Organ on the Chip, and you're gonna you're gonna actually you're gonna find a lot of uh, a lot of uh, really helpful resources there.
0: Could you share with us an anecdote from your work which made you realize the impact that you were having on, on patients' lives?
1: yeah i think um the 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 one that i still like the most is actually the one that i i mentioned before already right it's the it maybe it's because it makes you makes you feel like uh yes uh we told you so but but when when (laughs) i hear uh, when i heard from uh i'm always i never really like it if 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 we do science and the biggest goal is to sort of get the same results as what other available models already uh, mm-hmm. already have, mm-hmm. um, that's something that I'm always trying to push back to a little bit. So this this anecdote that I mentioned before that there was a partner of ours that uh, said, "Yeah, well, sorry, we're gon- we're not going to continue with your models because it doesn't agree with our uh, <laughs> with our animal models," and later on actually in the clinic we figured out that yes this is uh actually also in the clinic the clinic agrees with your models and not with the animal models that's uh it's maybe it's not the most positive example but i think it is a clear one where where i was like yes that was really one of the first times where we could really really clearly say this is uh, this is where we can uh where we can truly make a difference mm-hmm. and um yeah and other than that i think it is uh it's just amazing every single time we work with scientists across the it, it, from different fields where we are, where we are making a next step where we are seeing okay we now have a liver model that is so comprehensive that is so uh, clearly uh, that is so clearly superior to simple flat cells in a petri dish and actually when when you're looking at an image sit looking at them next to each other and. You're sitting there looking at each other and say, yeah, I think we can put this one in front of a pathologist. He would be really hard pressed telling us which of the two is fake and which of the two is yeah. a real, uh, mm-hmm. a real mm-hmm. tissue. Those are the moments when, when you're looking at each other and, and when you think, yes, this is um, this is going to make a difference. And like I said, I'm still waiting for the day when I can point at a patient <laughs> and say, this guy's alive because of our work, but um, <laughs> but we'll have to be a little bit patient still.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who would you suggest as a potential future guest for the podcast and, and why
1: Yeah so w- when we when we were chatting a little bit before this and and I know it's also, it also comes up it's also you, you mentioned it's uh it's it's about doing great science but also about maybe having a having a cool experience from an entrepreneurial point of view in there. And uh, yeah, when you're saying uh, great science, of course, uh, well, th- 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 there are some great scientists out there. I would say uh, uh, having having a chat with the likes of Hans Klavers or so would, of course, be great. But <laughs> but somebody where I think also the story of where their work went is is uh, is interesting. And I haven't discussed this with him, so I don't know if he'll be interested. But um, yeah. But I think the story of how Leo Price, uh, he's the Founder and director of what used to be Ocello and what's a company that is now part of uh, Crown, uh, Crown okay. Biosciences. It's it that's an interesting story. It's uh, he, he's a he's a guy who uh, used um, spheroid technology to mm-hmm. uh, in, in in a very uh, effective and good way and uh, founded Ocello based on that for screening and uh, and now and, and actually got acquired. Uh, by a large hero and i think that part of the story is also probably a very interesting <laughs> <laughs> quite interesting yeah <laughs> and uh, and if you go the other way ipsc derived work that kind of things uh, maybe um maybe talking to stefan bram from Oncardia might also be uh, an interesting uh, an interesting angle to take also really cool. uh, also <laughs> a success story all uh, all close neighbors to ours um, all from leiden in some way or another and uh, uh all doing uh, doing a really great job at the moment
0: really cool um how can we get in touch with you over linkedin per email is their preference
1: uh i think by email is the best mm-hmm. uh it's uh it's just uh my uh, my name uh at mimetals.com s, s dot or b dot reach, both work sebastian <laughs> or boss um, at and uh feel free Feel free to send me a message. LinkedIn, uh, I'm, uh, I must admit I'm not the best at also responding to all of the LinkedIn messages.
0: <laughs> but feel free to connect. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I put the email in the description then. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, thank you. I think this is, uh, this is always great. It's always uh, uh, good fun to, to discuss these type of things. And I hope, uh, I hope there's some people listening uh, who can get inspired um I'm either sure. work with us or to uh, themselves uh, think about how how we can use better technology to, to to change the way we do things uh so that we can really yeah that we can really move the dial and uh, and get and get solve some diseases a little bit faster i think uh we uh we owe it to all the patients out there so uh, <laughs> let's make it happen
0: <laughs> great thank you so much bass thank you Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions or suggest potential guests. Thanks and see you in the next one.